and welcome to the Plus Podcast with Mark West. This week, we will be talking about all the latest news and views in the world of mathematics from the BA Science Festival held in York, part one. Hello, I'm Mark West and welcome to the Plus Podcast. Recently, I attended the BA Festival of Science in York. The BA Festival of Science is the UK's biggest science festival. Its aim is to bring science and technology to the general public. But why hear this from me? How about hearing what Sue Hordienko from the BA Festival of Science Organising Committee had to say about the festival? Well, it's over 350 events, exhibitions, debates, talks, discussions taking place within the University of York and right across the city centre involving around 300 scientists and any number of members of the general public that would care to come along. It's partly a celebration of, of science and its achievements, but it's also a, a really valuable opportunity for scientists and public audiences to come face to face. So it's a really good opportunity for them to have dialogue, perhaps about areas of science about which they're concerned or about which they want more information about. So it's really a good opportunity for scientists and lay audiences to come face to face to really get to grips with some of the the knotty, thorny issues of the day. And we're in York this year. How long has this festival been going for and where have you been? Well, interestingly enough, uh, we are back to our birthplace this year we were we were born 176 years ago within the city of York we have been back here on a number of occasions since but not on such a a big and prestigious anniversary as we've got at the moment we go to a different location every year last year we were in Norwich the year before we weren't even in Britain actually we were in Dublin in Ireland Um, and we like to travel to a different location every year so we're really kind of uh getting the most value out of uh, bringing the festival to different areas, really allowing communities to really get, get to grips with some of the content that's going on. And there's all sorts of science being presented and uh, Robert Winston's here, so there's some quite high-profile scientists here. Anyone here that you particularly want to see or any area of science that interests you in particular? Uh, I caught up with Robert Winston this morning. We had um, quite an interesting press conference, which I learned more than um, I should really know about pig's testes now. So I have greater knowledge of that. I don't know what you... uh, your listeners can make of that, really. But uh, yes, he's been here. Um, there's a lot of events. Being a bit, bit of a chocolate lover myself, there is an event on uh, the science of chocolate. So that's going to be looking into whether or not chocolate addiction is um, a plausible reality. It's also, interestingly, going to be looking at some of the wars and conflicts that have um, happened over the years to do with, with cocoa and its 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 growth and distribution. So that's quite interesting. Being a bit of a chocolate lover, quite a good one for me. Um, There's quite a quirky event which is taking place later on the week, which was all about the truth behind hypnosis. So I think it's good that we kind of, you know, dig into areas that you might not necessarily associate with, with science. And then Thursday, our president is coming to give his presidential address. And that's always, you know, really interesting to hear what kind of perspectives the president has got on the state of of, of science and its applications and implications 
currently in the UK. And he, um, our president this year is Lord Brown of Maddingley, so the former chief executive of BP. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Well, interestingly enough, 2007 actually marks the 300th anniversary of the birth of Leonard Euler, the most prolific mathematician of all time. Um, he developed many important concepts and mathematical theorems. Um, and there's going to be an event all around his work on Thursday afternoon at the festival. So that's one for you to check out, I think. I'm sure I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me. I spoke to Dr. Raiden Twarok from the University of York about her talk, which was Microworld Adventures in Symmetry. Now, I had no idea what viruses had to do with symmetry, so simply I asked her, and here is what she had to say. I'm talking to Dr. Raiden Twarok about a talk that she's going to be giving tonight called Microworld Adventures, A Symmetry Approach to Viruses. Dr. Twarok is a EPSRC Advanced Research Fellow and a reader who has been jointly appointed by the Departments of Mathematics and Biology. And I guess to start with, I'd like to ask you exactly what does symmetry have to do with viruses? I was reading the, the press release here and there's something also about group theory and I didn't realise that these mathematical things had anything to do with viruses. Viruses have a little container which is formed from proteins and this container acts like a Trojan horse to transport the genomic material inside the cell and then hijacks the cellular mechanism to produce new viruses. And the structures of these protein containers follow symmetry. They are actually exhibiting icosahedral symmetry, by which we mean that there are a number of discrete rotational symmetry axes under which the object is invariant. This gives the mathematician a possibility to investigate the structure of viruses and based on that the assembly of viruses, and that again gives us the possibility to come up with new strategies of inhibiting virus assembly. Now, this is not a new discovery. Crick and Watson um, came up with some theories about this in 1956. Would you be able to tell me a little bit about what they discovered and maybe the history of, of symmetry with regards to viruses? This is actually quite an interesting history. Crick and Watson discovered in 1956 that the genomic material within the viral capsids is too small to encode for more than a few capsid proteins, so it was clear that capsid protein must be repeated. Therefore, they made the assumption that capsids are built from identical protein subunits which are taking on identical environments in the capsid, and this is only possible based on symmetry. They therefore postulated that viruses organize their capsids according to symmetry, and this later on found experimentally that actually the majority of viruses use icosahedral symmetry in the organization of their capsids. Now, this can account for capsids of a size of at most 60 proteins because the structure of the symmetry group is such that there are precisely 60 elements. And therefore, it could only account for capsids which have at most 60 proteins. But it was known already at that time that there are a lot of viruses which are larger and have more proteins. So another principle was needed in order to explain their structure. 
Casper and Kluge came up in 62 with their seminal theory, which introduces the concept of quasi-equivalence. Quasi-equivalence is to say that protein subunits take on environments which are not equivalent, but almost equivalent. So they are relaxing the condition of equivalence a little. A way, from a mathematical point of view, to describe these quasi-equivalent structures is to look for triangulations, and then to interpret those triangulations in terms of proteins being located in the corners of the little triangular facets. In this way, Casper and Kluge were able to classify the possible structures that viruses can take on in the organization of their capsids. This is a very important theory which is used for the classification of viruses and is now widely recognized as the theory for the description of viral structures. However, experimental evidence has accumulated over the years that it cannot describe all types of viruses. In particular, there are viruses which, have, which are formed from clusters of five proteins throughout, which we call pentamers. And the construction of Casper and Kluge a priori excludes such structures. It became clear that new mathematics was needed here, and a similar problem was known from crystallography, where people discovered structures with fivefold symmetry, which are certainly not periodic, because fivefold symmetry is not compatible with periodicity, but as we say, aperiodic, for instance, like a Penrose tiling. And this type of mathematics is needed in order to describe these cases that fall out of Casper Kluge theory. And my group has built up a theory which we call viral tiling theory, which is based on this type of mathematics and explains the structure of these viruses. All these theories actually describe the surface structures of these protein shells, which is very important in order to understand assembly but it cannot account for three-dimensional structures like the thickness of the capsid, the structure of the capsid proteins, the structure of the genomic material or their correlation. And therefore, we recently asked the question whether there is a symmetry principle that actually accounts for the full three-dimensional structure of viruses. And we basically extended, the, we found ways of extending the symmetry group according to mathematically um, mathematical principles that are kind of very natural from a mathematical point of view and classified all symmetry groups, extended symmetry groups that lead to such nested structures with icosidal symmetry. We have then compared the prediction of these structures with the 3D structure of a couple of viruses, and we have found out that actually those viruses follow their, in their organization the structure of these models. And this is a very recent new discovery that opens up a lot of possibilities for us because now we can quantify the dependence of the structure of the genomic material on the capsid, and we can incorporate this into our assembly models. So there is, there is a lot of scope now for applications. So we've got a, a model here of a virus. 
Oh, this yeah. is a polyhedron with icosahedral symmetry, actually. And I should say that when we dis um, developed our mathematical formalism to describe the 3D structures, this little gadget was all the time on our table, and we made quite a lot of use of it in okay. this framework. It was just to help your intuition along a little bit to see where the symmetry axes are with respect to each other, how dodecahedra, icosahedra, or icosidodecahedra are related to each other, which is kind of important information when you're doing the nitty-gritty of the mathematics to get these extended symmetry groups. It is a model of a geometric structure that has the same symmetries like viruses, and it actually incorporates the vertices of different polyhedra with the symmetry and their relative location. And this is actually quite a useful tool when we're developing mathematical models for viruses because it is the basic symmetry a virus has, but gives us the possibility based on that to extend the symmetry. So where to next? Where would you, where are you going? Where would you like to go with this research and what, what applications do you think it might have? There's a plethora of questions arising from the new symmetry principle. One of them is viral evolution. We know that in a lot of families of viruses which are non-related, nevertheless the proteins take on similar structures in their capsids. People until now thought or assumed that this is due to the fact that they have a common ancestor. However, with, by showing that there is only a finite number of blueprints available for viruses to organize their structure, it might as well be appointed to the fact that it is convergent evolution. So we want to investigate this, we want to look at a number of viruses which are known to be related in that way, and we want to see if our models can account for the fact that they have this similar organization. So what what do you prefer, maths or biology? Uh, what's your background? That's a tricky question, but I should say by formation I'm a mathematician. But both really fascinates me. And obviously the mathematic, mathematics has a long-standing history. I loved mathematics from very small on. And just playing with these wonderful mathematical structures is fascinating for me. But I also should say that I'm very much motivated by the applications in virology because we really see that at the end of the line we might be able to make a real difference here. So that is a wonderful feeling too. So I should really say it is fascinating for the mathematician and the biologist alike. It is so fascinating. I mean, I, I really enjoy doing it. It's just fun. I should say when I'm coming in in the morning, I open my office and it's like playtime. I just <laughs> love doing that stuff. Thank you for joining me on this week's edition of the Plus Podcast. If you'd like to find out any more about any of the content that was in today's show, please visit our website at plus.maths.org. That's plus.maths.org. I'm Mark West, and on behalf of myself and the Plus team, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on the next edition of Plus. Plus.